Safety, dependability, and power. Chevy Silverado isn't happy unless the work is hard and the day is long. No wonder Silverado is America's number one best-selling retail pickup truck. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and put a Silverado in your toolbox. Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I have been friends for a very long time. We met right after college. She had our first jobs as radio producers. We spent our 20s as wing women for each other, and it didn't work out very well. But then it did. And we found the right guys and stood up in each other's weddings. And then we had babies within weeks of each other. So we went from producers to reproducers. We make it look easy. Which brings us to this podcast. We want to discuss topics that interest us and you and provide some knowledge to other average parents. We're average, not experts. So we'll tackle these topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I fully expect to embarrass myself along the way. Yeah, after season one, I'm pretty sure we already have. So welcome to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. When everybody sees it, they stop and take a look. Apparently, while technology has become pervasive in our lives, both at home and work and and school, Mm -hmm. we may want to think a little bit about our kids' digital footprint. I've never even considered it. Okay. Well, um, many schools across the country have implemented technology and have one-to-one programs in their classrooms. Okay. Wait. What's one-to-one? What? what? One-to-one? It's when... Like you have one student for one device, like each kid gets a device, whether it's a Chromebook or an iPad or something. So I'm pretty sure my kids get Chromebooks in the classroom. They don't take them home. Do you get to? Oh, we have them. them, Yeah, we have them to take home. Yeah. A lot of districts do that. We do not. Okay. Note to self. (laughs) And also this is the reason they're always asking me if they can get a laptop. Or borrow yours. Yes. Ah, Okay. There's, yeah, they don't need to do that in in my house, but (sighs) so... A lot of the country, a lot of schools around the country have this one-to-one program um, in the classroom, and I would say it's it's a promising initiative. I I think there's merit to technology because it is so pervasive in our lives, but and there's lots of educational opportunities with it. But um, but like anything else, when you come up with something new, it kind of introduces some new challenges or things that you didn't really think about before. Sure, because you... With anything new. Right. So, um, more than ever before, large amounts of data are being collected about and from students because they have devices. So, who's collecting the data? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Oh. So, this is totally uncharted territory. It's so new, we don't know if there's, like, long-term implications with having devices and apps and uh, emails, accounts, and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, um, so because everyone, lots of schools have technology in the classrooms, I was doing some research on it, and there are education technology businesses out there vying for school district business, okay? So this is now a market to, to because there's opportunities here to <laughs> sell apps or... Because um, our kids are a captive audience? Yeah, and because there's a market for, instead of textbooks, you can deliver resources and content and instruction through apps. I was just in the classroom uh, teaching sort of a Shakespeare thing at my kid's school, and um, they all had Chromebooks or some kind of devices, mm-hmm. and the teacher would do quizzes on the whiteboard, and the, and the kids would weigh in. like that. So they used those. It must have been some kind of app, but they used their Chromebooks or... or to take the test? 
Yes, but it was like a fun test, right? They were sort of interacting with their devices and then looking at the whiteboard and seeing how many people guessed the right answer. And then the teacher would say, I understand why you might have chosen this one, but it was all anonymous, too. Right. But it it was a cool learning situation. I and, they li- and they liked it? Yes. The kids liked it? Yes. Well, so in 2018, venture capital investments in education technology reached $1.45 billion. What? And it's projected to reach $250, $250 billion globally by 2020. So clearly there's a lot of money in apps and things related to technology in the classroom. Going from $1.45 billion to $250 billion by next year? That's correct. Wow. So, again, uncharted territory, like, sky's the limit, really. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I can't wrap my head around this, because why would there be so much money for kids? What, what are you talking about? Really? <laughs> Yes, really. It's not for kit. I mean, it's a for-profit business. Like these are businesses looking to get into the education realm. Okay. All right. So, you know, I try to keep my kids' digital footprint pretty small. Yes, you do. Yes. That's I've very said good this, of you. <laughs> I've said this a million times. It just came up this weekend, actually. Um, I don't let them have social media accounts, and but I do let them get apps on their iPads, okay. their, their home iPads, because they have their home devices as well and sometimes like just this weekend my son was asking for a certain game on his ipod and i kind of glanced at it and i'm like oh, whatever i just i just i let him have it right okay it was a free one or whatever but i don't always pay attention to i try to but i don't always pay attention to what it is if there's like in-app purchases and all that kind of stuff right so but what about at school like as a parent i don't think i have as much control over what's on the device or i have i don't even pay attention to what is on his ipad well he's bringing his home like i I don't even see my kids devices so so they're kept it's like a classroom set yeah okay yeah so we have ipads and chromebooks it depends on your grade level in our school um and the ipad has a lot of apps on it he's playing games like math games and um do you guys do like behavioral apps like do they monitor how your kid and, and write how your kid is doing not that i know of if you have chromebook i don't know that you yeah so on our ipads in schools they have like um behavior apps where you could get 100 percent or 99 percent based on you were on time you handed in your homework you like all those types of things and it's a touch point so a lot of parents download the app on their phone so that they can be in touch and see and pe- like teachers post pictures of the kids working in groups and doing so- you don't have that? Not that I know of. Okay. Although it's going to be very awkward when I find out that I should know this. Okay. <laughs> well, so to better understand this, I thought we should bring somebody in cuz you know we're absolutely average and this is outside my wheelhouse. Uh, I, in this case just way below average for me. <laughs> We're going to bring in Cassie Cresswell. She is the board president of Raise Your Hand Action, a grassroots parent group that advocates for policy and supports high-quality education. Um, she's also a member of the Parent Coalition for Student Privacy. Cassie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So as you heard, we, we're, we're dummies. We, <laughs> we need like a technology one-to-one for, for parents here. Um, just to start out, you, along with your organizations, believe that in students' right to informational privacy. Can you elaborate on that, what it means like t- in today's world? Because obviously Anne doesn't have like the one-to-one program. We have it in our district, and I know a lot of districts do have that in the suburbs. 
Can you elaborate on that, what the right to privacy is? Um, So there is just a ton of data both being collected on kids um, behind the scenes, so like administrative kind of apps and software, and then also, you know, especially if it's a one-to-one school, uh, the kids themselves are generating a ton of data as they use educational software and programs. And, you know, there's just a ton of questions about what data is really being collected and stored, and then, you know, what happens to it later, um, both in the short term and in the much longer term. And, you know, you guys really are not, you know, you might feel like you're uninformed about this, but the truth is that there's really no information being shared for the most part. And it's actually kind of the common state right now that parents don't know and are not told what data is being collected and what's happening to it. Um, And so they, you know, if they want to have some control over how this information is kept private, um, they don't have a lot of control. So the main concern is like the privacy and let so that it doesn't follow the student as they get as they get older. Um, I think that's like one big concern is that you know as there's just so much information out there, um, we don't necessarily know right now what sorts of things can be done with it later. So just as one example. Uh, Right now, your kid may be doing some kind of, like, digital purchases in the cafeteria, um, maybe with an ID card or with a little, you know, radio frequency ID tag on a card, um, and it's tracking everything they buy at lunch. And, you know, that might be really handy in terms of paying for it or the school doing, uh, you know, purchasing for their cafeteria. But long-term, you know, what's going to happen, say, 20 years from now, is there going to be some company that's purchased the company that has that uh, food purchase data and says, oh, look at how many Rice Krispie treats you were eating in fifth grade. Eh, I think your health insurance insurance premium needs to be a little higher. Are you, you kidding? Know? So, I mean, it's just kind of like those sorts of things have not all shaken out yet. Um, and since we don't even really know what's being collected, we can't really say like, hey, let's have that deleted because I don't want to have negative implications for my child because of that data later. So, so just in my family, we were talking about, this is a little off point, but um, like those uh, DNA kits, like the genealogy when you learn, I was talking to my brother-in-law and he did not want to do that because he didn't, he's like, no way would I give my data over to another company because who knows that down the line that somebody doesn't share that I had a pre-existing condition or whatever. Is that sort of in the same vein? Is that what your organizations are concerned about, like down the road that it might come back to bite, bite the kid in the butt? Like if they're looking for a job or whatever, if there's records about how they were in junior high or something? Um, yeah, I think that is a real worry, and it's actually like an immediate worry. So there's already, you know, a lot of data uh, being shared with, say, college and university admissions offices, um, and there's a ton of databases out there already about kids, sort of consumer databases, um, and then also organizations like the College Board or ACT Inc. collect a ton of data through surveys, and they also have access to your kids' test scores and grades, um, and Various, you know, algorithms are already in place to make predictions about, like, oh, you should offer admission to this kid versus offering it to this kid, or this kid, if they enroll, they're likely to graduate versus this kid who's less likely. And so right now that sort of stuff is happening, uh, but there's definitely also, you know, longer-term implications with, you know, everything that's being collected starting now, even in preschool. Um, There's 
assessments that are tracking, uh, you know, how, you know, like whether kids are getting hitting little Tommy or, you know, this kid had a bathroom accident or whatever, and that stuff is being recorded digitally by, you know, in a software owned by a third-party company. And, you know, we right now, if that company is purchased, that data will just be handed over to the new company. So, yeah, the implications for what that what will happen to that data later are a very big open question. So who's recording this information? Because, you know, if my uh, three-year-old has an accident and my kids are no longer three, um, are the teachers inputting that information? It's certainly not at that level. The little kids aren't part of it. Yeah, so in that case, you know, when they're littler, it's probably data that teachers and staff and administrators are collecting on kids. And then as they get older, it's, you know, information the kids are generating themselves. And then also say something with like, a one-to-one device program. That device itself generates a lot of data, so it you know it has an IP address, and so it also has a physical location that can be traced from uh, that information. Um, and so there's kind of like a bunch of different streams of data. So even when they're little and they're not really necessarily uh, using apps themselves, there's still a, a digital footprint being created on them in school. So what other types of data are these ed tech providers gathering? So, you know, so we just talked about some behavior stuff. If my kids are using a Chromebook with an IP address, that can be traced, their searches can be traced to them? Um, Yes, definitely. And I, you know, like depending uh, on the settings and the programs that your schools are using, you know, a kid's web history, even all their keystrokes might be saved. And we have definitely seen uh, cases in Chicago Public Schools where uh, a child's use of a Chrome browser, not a Chrome device, uh, at home, um, outside of school hours, off school grounds, not on a school device, uh, and the school is still tracking uh, what the child is doing online, uh, and then you know, calling them into the office and asking them about it later for as like a behavioral thing. Wait, um, what? So, you mean like if they use yeah. their mom or dad's yeah. computer and logged into their <laughs> Gmail account? Um, yeah. So, you know, like you get a, you know, G Suites is sort of this like really common, the Google Apps for Education uh, is a very common software that's in use, you know, everywhere in the U.S. at this point. And there's various tracking going on inside that from what we can tell. Uh, and it kind of varies. I think your school district has some control over what is tracked and what is saved and then also what is surveilled uh, after it's saved. But, you know, parents should know that quite possibly because of how all this stuff works, even your home computer usage may be something that the school has access to at this point. This sounds very big brother. It's not great. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, it's really kind of a huge it's just a huge area where there's just so many questions and where current law and policy stand are, you know, basically decades behind where it should be given how much technology has advanced. So what are the companies doing with the data they collect? Let's say my daughter, she does have a Chrome browser on our home computer and she and she and her friends do Google Docs and they Um, Share it with each other. They share it with each other. Now, uh, my daughter is in Chicago Public Schools, and they cannot, no one can contact them through their email. Like, so I... I, But a fellow student can. A fellow student can, but an outside company cannot contact her or solicit. uh, It it gets blocked. So what can be gathered about her, and then who's gathering it, and then what are they doing with it? 
Yeah, um, I mean, we really don't know. So there are some, like, if a company uh, has a paid contract with Chicago Public Schools, then you can find that contract, like a district-level contract, online, and you can see, for the most part, in a contract like that, it'll be specified what data is being collected and the security procedures and the liability of the company if there's a security breach. Um, but there's so much freeware out there, and in that case, there might not be any signed contract, and so there really might not be anything in writing that's saying what that company is collecting beyond, you know, a click-through terms of agreement that maybe a teacher did um, and a parent won't even know about. Um, so, for example, Khan Academy, that's a big free uh software program, um, and uh, it's very common now for them to have access to kids' test scores, and parents aren't informed ahead of time that that information is being shared. So it's very, you know, we really don't know uh, what's being collected um, and what's being done with it. So there's kind of a ton of things. And so technically, under state law right now, companies should not be selling student data, uh, but that does not mean, for example, there's a lot of loopholes with that. Uh, so if a company is purchased, then all the data they've collected over the years can be, you know, is sold as part of that purchase. So the company Turnitin, I don't know if you guys know that, it's like a plagiarism detection company. And so it has just a ton of student uh, work that's been uploaded for years now. And so basically like student intellectual property, and that's, that company just got purchased, uh, and all of that is being transferred over to the company that's being bought. So even though on the books it says that student data can't be sold, it can be used for a lot of other things. Um, there's been a big push for what's called personalized learning, and a lot of that is based on essentially algorithms that have uh, need a lot of input data to learn on. And so that data is mostly generated by kids using the software in the first place. Um, and so, you know, technically that company isn't uh, selling the data itself, but it's creating a product that is generated by that data, and then they're profiting off of it. Yeah, it's like it's like a focus group, kind of. <laughs> like- yeah, and I mean, that's really actually happening both in CPS and outside CPS. There's a nonprofit uh, here in Chicago called Leap Innovations, and they're, sort of, they're a nonprofit, but sort of their uh, model is that they provide software testing for companies. So companies apply to to have a pilot through LEAP, uh, and then LEAP connects them to a school where the company then tries out their software, uh, and the kids, you know, are essentially like the free software testers for the company. And uh, then the company also kind of gets a foot in the door to sell it to that particular school later. And the crazy thing is that, like, like, CPS pays LEAP Innovations to have kids test software for these companies yes and then later we'll presumably buy some of the software from those companies why would why would cps pay if they're providing free guinea pigs i don't know i really don't know it's very you know we have an unelected board and there's a lot of questions uh about what's happening and we really you know we do not have the answers can we go Um, back to something you mentioned earlier about the college board so we have older kids now um so is that like the college board is looking for data or the ACT and they are looking for data because they're trying to market their schools to certain kids. Is that how they are generating information about the kids through their like apps that they're using? So one thing, uh, so when you take a college board exam, um, like the PSAT, the the SAT, AP exams, um, almost every administration has a survey that's done at the beginning and it's 
it asks just for the student to consent to having their data that they provide in the survey shared. And it's called like the student, it's like a first search services. So basically kids are told, hey, colleges and scholarships are going to be able to find you if you agree to share your data. It turns out actually the college board is selling that data, um, or as they call it, leasing. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's a, a, it's an open question whether that's actually a violation of state law currently that they're doing that. So they get a lot of questions. You know, they ask about a kid's like college and career interests and what they're looking for in a university. And they also ask typically stuff like you know, like your study habits and that kind of thing. So. They have all of that information, and then they usually, like if you're a college and you're looking for a certain set of kids to recruit, um, you can request like kids with certain test score ranges. So I don't think they usually uh, hand over actual individual test scores, but they'll say like, okay, here's a set of kids whose you know math score is from X to Y. So okay. and both the College Board and ACT Inc. Uh, sell that sort of data to colleges and universities, and also scholarship providers and also I don't know you guys are probably already getting stuff like this where it's like pseudo conferences for high school kids that are actually for-profit things and so you're invited to like you know science superstars and you pay some fee and you're kind of the, the marketing material makes it look like you're being selected for some kind of honor but it's actually you know a for-profit venture for this company that's holding these things um, and they're getting their data from things like the college board. Can kids opt out of sharing that information when they're taking the tests? Yes. And, you know, like it's, I think they absolutely can. It's totally voluntary. Uh, And there's no evidence that, there's like minor evidence that, you know, opting in makes a kid more likely to ultimately enroll in college. So you're you're really not going to get a lot of information that you absolutely need. Like I, it's, just you'll be flooded with marketing materials and your information may be handed over to organizations that are not colleges and universities or scholarship providers that are actually going to benefit your kid. Um, So I would encourage parents to, you know, really talk about this with their kid before they take the exams and consider not opting into it. Is there a disparity across the country between the parents and districts, like what you can, how the use of data is managed? Like, is every district different in what they allow and if parents can opt out of sharing data or whatever? Um, Yeah, there's, I mean, it varies uh, by state. Some states actually have uh, some pretty good laws on the books that at least uh, go the extra mile in making sure that districts tell parents what data is being collected. Uh, So Colorado and Connecticut have some good laws like that. And then within the state, it can, you know, it really is just up to the district how much they're telling parents. So I think there are some districts in Illinois where they make an effort to tell parents, like, here's all the different software we're using, here's all the different places that your kids' data might be going, and they make it, like, at least somewhat more transparent. We definitely don't see that in Chicago Public Schools, and, you know, I think that overall it's not super likely that you're being told a whole lot in Illinois. Is there something we can do about that? Yes. Um, We have been working, uh, our organization, Raise Your Hand Action, has been working on laws at the state level and trying to get a bill passed that would sort of close the current loopholes in the student privacy law and really make sure that parents 
you know, have a guaranteed right to know and a right to control their students' data. So there's a bill right now that's both in the Illinois Senate and the Illinois House, and it, you know, has to go through committee and then it'll get to the floor. Um, So right now is a great time to talk to your state legislators about what you know or don't know as a parent about the data that's being collected and how you actually want to know these things and you want to at least be given the option of, you know, not being forced to hand over data, especially really sensitive data. At the very least, you should be asked for your consent before it's shared. And so this bill would require that. So we need to get on the horn, essentially, and and make sure that uh, people know that we're supportive of transparency. Yes, and privacy and security and, you know, all the sort of basic things that if we're collecting all this sensitive data that really needs to be in place. I was reading uh, in researching for today's topic, um, I was reading somewhere where you said that childhood is a time of growth, experimentation, and development. The mistakes and challenges of a childhood should not be part of a record that follows a child into adulthood adulthood and hamper the chance of future success. I I read that and I was like, yeah, gosh, I was a dummy. Like I made a lot of mistakes and did stupid stuff as a kid. And, you know, back then I went home, like just with everything, we talk about this on our podcast all the time. Like it was such a different world. Education in the classroom was so different when we were growing up that we would go home and like it was everything was on paper. There was no compute. Like my worksheets are somewhere... <laughs> in a landfill somewhere deteriorated the paper that's not true anymore like there's digital footprint of anything our kids are doing yes absolutely and it's really you know we need to bring our laws up to date with that like the major privacy laws that cover student data were written in the 1970s you know like like before i was born uh, (laughs) and they really need to be brought up to date with the fact that this is a real issue now and we should be able to still sort of close the books on what we did in childhood and start fresh as an adult. And, you know, we need to put policies into place that can actually make that a reality. So in researching the podcast, I came across an acronym I'd never heard before. Is it PII? Yep. What is that? Um, Personally, identifiable information. Information about you that is not anonymous and definitely can be tied back to you. So, you know, first of all, like your name, your address, your email address, you know, your social security number. And the thing is, in reality, it doesn't take very many data points to identify someone. So to be honest, even just having like your zip code and your age and your gender can, you know, pin you down pretty quickly in a database of not very large size. So really, many more things are personally identifiable than sort of that handful that you think of. Um, what What's PII? When um, Anne was talking about in her schools, they have the Chromebooks. Uh, my daughter has Chromebook, too. Uh, this is something that I've been wanting to ask my district because um, I was just thinking about it in reading for today. Their Gmail accounts, when they graduate and they go out of the district, what happens to all that stuff? So they can just have it shut down, but really... Google very much encourages students to save their account and roll it over into um, a non-school account. And so, you know, even though Google gives assurances to parents and districts that, you know, we're not commercializing your kids' data in school, ultimately their goal is to make it available to their commercial product after age 18. 
So you certainly have the option to get rid of things, but, you know, I think that it's kind of, it varies how much they're pushing you to keep it around. So you would change it from your um, your Gmail through your school account and make it a personal one and change the name of it? Because, I mean, uh, my yes. daughter would not, my kids would not want their email address from school. It's a long number and whatever. Yeah, so you can have it, you can, like, essentially roll over the data inside of it. And I, I mean, I'm assuming that would store everything that you have attached to that account and have that option. Okay. Okay, here's another dumb question. Um, my 10-year-old has an iCloud G- email address. My 12-year-old has a Gmail account with her name on it. Is Google collecting stuff on her right now? And is iCloud anything risky? Um, they're probably, I mean, they're definitely collecting a ton of stuff. Um, you should be able to poke around inside a, a Google.com account um, to see some things. There's debate about how much Google is really telling you, like when you're telling them, hey, don't collect, don't save my location, uh, whether they actually are maybe saving location from your devices or not. Um, I think I've seen debate about that uh, in the media. And, you know, there are, for example, like, you know, there's like the Apple uh, App Store, there's an Android App Store, those, and there's a lot of things for kids in those. A study last summer was showing that, like, the kid apps on Android were actually not particularly kid-friendly, and they were, you know, pushing a lot of marketing and advertising to kids um, and encouraging kids to spend money um, and, you know, not really uh, being as uncommercialized as you would hope for a kid app. Right. So I think, you know, you kind of have to be wary about any of this stuff, uh, especially, I mean, it really goes for all software. Anything that's free, they have to be making money somewhere. Yeah. Um, and so they're probably making money off your data. Right. Wow. You know, it's just... It's terrifying. It's like the wild, wild west. Like, you just don't know. And, I mean, I think education and and teachers and districts are obviously wanting the best for their students. And this is not, like, something... But, you know, districts are strapped for money. <laughs> And so when there's an app that they can provide some extra resources and make them available, I think everyone's heart is in the right place and that it's it's the intentions are good. But it's the behind the scenes stuff that you're not really aware of. Yeah, I think that is. I mean, there you know, I have a background in computer science and, you know, tech there's a ton of things you can do that's super interesting with it and super educational. Um but there's also, like, so many things that can be exploited in it. And, you know, when it comes down to the actual educational value, a lot of this stuff, it's, you know, the research that has been done so far, you know, is at best mixed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think in a resource-strapped environment like Illinois Public Schools, it's tempting uh, to, you know, grab shiny new free things, uh, but it's really, you know, it's going to take a lot of organized parent pushback to say, let's take a step back and really look at this stuff before we're adopting it yeah. and making sure that we actually have the safeguards in place um, and, you know, we're not selling out our children's future for some, you know, app Small right Small gain, yeah. 
Thank you so much, Cassie Cresswell from Raise Your Hand Action for talking with us today about this one-to-one. We we taught Anne something today, what one-to-one is. (laughs) I thought everybody knew that Um, because I have it in my district. Anyway, to talk about the challenges we're facing with technology and student privacy. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation. Thanks, Cassie. We'll go ahead and we'll link some websites to our podcast so that if people wanted to get more information on how to be involved or ask the right questions in their own um, districts, that they'll have those resources available to them. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So apparently, just like everything else, Mm -hmm. new things always come with challenges and it's like you know, with anything, you got its uncharted territory, and you got to figure out what what the implications are for these things. Yeah, and you don't even know what you don't know. You know, like I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I'm True story. shocked, shocked at how little I know about what information is going out my door. Yeah, and you know, our classroom looked a heck of a lot different than it does now. Did you ever so, passing notes? Yeah, yeah. Remember how you would like wrap it and. Folded in a certain yes. way. Yeah. The those, triangles. Those are not digitized. No. Yeah. And those are gone, poof, yeah. never to be found again. But that's not true anymore. Mm-mm. So that's why it's a little scary and you just need to do your research and know what's being collected. And make sure the kids know. Yeah. You know? Ugh. Okay. So anyway, we'd love to hear from you about this. Uh, if you have technology in your schools or... <laughs> and you should find out, by the way. <laughs> I didn't know. Well, you knew. You just didn't know the one-to-one phrase. That's okay. okay. All right. Okay. Um, If you have any stories to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. So uh, check out our Facebook page or give us a call at 331-704-0046. Or you can email us at apparentlypodcast at gmail.com. By the way, now I'm worried about apparentlypodcast at (laughs) gmail.com and what information's out there. Um, This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Thanks for listening to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. When everybody sees it, it's time to take a look.